Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome. Hello. Hey there. So we're going to have a lot of tech topics coming up this week, which seems to be the way of things lately. But there's a lot of questions coming in, which drives our content and a lot of really good ones. So we're going to touch upon a number of different things. We're going to be talking about next-gen television in some depth. There's been a lot of questions coming in here. Spoiler alert, yes, you will need to buy a new tuner, but it looks like it's probably going to be worth it. And one of the other things they're doing with that, too, is the way it's set up now is they can upgrade the protocol for future without having to do replacement of equipment again. You know, So that's kind of nice. So we're going to be talking about that and also going into a number of other things. We've got a good Q&A coming up. We're going to be talking about websites and different protocols and platforms and stuff that are available for all of that. And, you know, things change just like anything else. The internet has evolved. We talked about internet service providers a while back. Well, you build a website, it's changing. All of this kind of stuff does and will continue to be upgraded and modified, sometimes for the better and sometimes not. Hmm. Well, this one I'm a little kind of thinking maybe not. I don't know. Um, might need to, you know, tie your Ford up to the hitching post. Future Fords could repossess themselves and drive away if you miss payments. Yeah, that's an, I like your <laughs> intro on that. <laughs> so, you know, on our news here, this this topic came out and it's like, you look at this, really the kind of underlying technology of here isn't that new. They've had a device that they can put in cars for a long time that if you don't make a payment, it'll brick the car. You can't start it. The right. Ford's taking this to the next level now to where if the car is not paid for, it will simply leave. <laughs> yeah. um, Goodbye, pony. See you later. Yeah, and just that's the end of it. And the weird thing, the way this is described is the car also knows what to do if What's owed on the car is more than it's worth or something. It'll drive itself to the junkyard. And if it's okay. worth driving to the dealer, it can't. What if the car has a child, a pet, a, a senior, something valuable inside? What if the payment crosses in the mail? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's I like, mean, I, you, know. you know. Okay. I would think that you'd have to be way overdue. I would hope. Before something like this would happen. If you were a little late on your payment on your car, they don't generally repossess it. If you're three months late, then they do. That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's now, fine. As far as those other questions, these are all things that do need to be considered on something like this, because I know even the tech that will brick your car, if you don't make the payment, has caused problems. If you're driving on the freeway and it stops or something and you can't get it going again, there was one case where a guy didn't make his payment, didn't have the money, had an emergency, was take, trying to take his mom to the doctor. The car wouldn't run. I believe she died because of it. So these <sighs> things can have really dire side effects, you know? Yeah, but on the other side of it is, is if you don't pay for it, there are rights of the seller. Yeah, that they should get their equipment back. So you know, it, it's kind of a two-edged street with that. <laughs> U.S. Marshal Service suffers major security breach that compromises sensitive information. Yeah, you know, there's so many hacking stories coming out now. It seems like we're seeing a lot of this left and right. But right now, this kind of a thing is not something that you want to have happen. The affected system, the one that got compromised, there we go, contains law enforcement information, including returns from legal process, administrative information, personally identifiable information pertaining to the subjects of investigations, third parties, and employees. Boy. Ouch. And 
Yeah. They, you know, they figured this out. They've stopped it, but they do consider it very much to be a major incident. They're continuing their investigation into what actually went on, but it looks like there might be some kind of a ransomware or something of that nature involved on this. And they've been able to develop workarounds so they can continue their operations and track down fugitives. But, you know, again, this kind of information can be very delicate. And it just goes to show that uh, even with good encryption and security technology, I say this many times, it's like the lock on your front door. You get a bigger lock, less people will try to come in. But if someone really sets their mind to it, they probably can still get through. Hmm. Okay, I find this one fascinating. The FBI now recommends using an ad blocker when searching the web. Really? (laughs) You know what this is related to is online scams. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And ad blocking software can help to protect you against fraudulent online advertising that appear in search results. The Hmm. cyber criminals and such that are behind these ads make them up to look like messages from real brands and businesses. It's hard to tell the difference. And when you do an ad blocker, it can cut that out and deal with it out so that you don't see them as much. It's not a complete fail safe, but it is something that might be a step in the right direction. Now, I use an ad blocker myself, uh, not for this reason, although this is a good reason to do it. And the reason I do is because a lot of news sites seem to inject advertisements within the news stream, and you can't really tell Mm-hmm. A lot of times, except and it's for a confusing. little tiny word at the bottom that says advertisement in a font that mm-hmm. is the same color as the background half the time. Yep. So, you know, when you get into this kind of going down a rabbit hole thing, a click hole, and I like it for that reason. Now, a lot of the companies that deliver these things make their money off of the advertisements, and I understand that. But it is a situation where there seems to be the kind of this battle going on. One of the downsides to using an ad blocker is there are certain websites that simply will not function with it. In a lot of cases, things like submitting forms and that stuff can be interrupted. So it's just something to be aware of. But you want to be careful when you install an ad blocker because I've run into a few extensions that are out there that claim to be ad blockers that are actually malware. So we do some research on that end as well. Hmm. Radio GPT, the world's first AI-driven radio station, is here. And, you know, this doesn't come to me as a shock, Mm-mm. really, at all. I mean, you know, we can do radio, so so AI certainly could. <laughs> oh, gee, thanks. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, I had to say. But in all reality, in all seriousness, Radio GPT, there we go, is a name, uh, scans social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, about 250,000 other sources of news and information. And what it does with that is identifies which topics and stuff are trending in a local market. And then it uses GPT-3 technology to produce a script for on-air use while an AI voice turns that script into compelling audio. (laughs) Radio stations are given a choice of AI voices for single, dual, or tri-hosted shows. Boy, they're going to take our jobs. They are going to take my job. It is (laughs) going to be a disaster. Beep. You know, the other the other thing about it, too, is the AIs can even be trained to sound like their existing personalities' voices. Yeah. So it's interesting to see where this is going. But uh, definitely. So you can, you can have someone copying your voice. Yes. Absolutely, you know. And uh, so does that mean I get a week off, maybe? Well, I'm going to be all for mm-hmm. this if that's the case. Ha. Huh. You might not get paid. You won't get paid. Oh, well, then never mind. <laughs> ah, well, you know. <laughs> 
Dish hit by multi-day outage after reported cyber attack. Gee, another one yeah. of these? <laughs> yeah, another one of these. You know, it's uh, but this one is also a big deal. It caused a couple of days that Dish wasn't working. Now, Dish Network is a satellite television provider for anybody that doesn't know. Works like classic cable. You know, you subscribe, you get your channels, that kind of thing. And this cyber attack took out the signal in some places, caused the website to stop working, streaming. You couldn't get on to get to your account, all of that kind of stuff. And basically what they've said is it's definitely a cyber attack. There isn't a lot more detail on this right now. If any information was compromised or if it was just a denial of service type thing that they've been able to work around. But whatever the case may be, if you are a subscriber to Dish Network and we're having problems, this is probably what was causing it. Hmm. Hootsuite to Ditch Free Plan. Begin charging users for social media tool. So the first question I would ask there a lot, Will, is what is Hootsuite? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've never, never used it. it. So, And what this is, is it's a tool that allows users to browse, manage, and schedule social media posts. Okay. Ah, so oh. in other words, you are on a number of social media sites. You can schedule posts to go out. You can manage what comes in, all that kind of it's thing. It's a lazy helper. <laughs> it's a lazy helper. But in a lot of cases, let me tell you, these kind of tools are very beneficial. Mm -hmm. Company based out of British Columbia, uh, Canada, and... To date, they've had a free plan. They're going to be sunsetting that on March 31st. And they're going to have new paid plans to get users to switch over to it with different limitations based on how much you want to pay for it. And, you know, again, these type of services do tend to save a lot of time. I'm not a huge social media person, but I do have to use social media. So I wouldn't mind having something like this, probably. But okay. um, that's where they're going with that. Okay, even hackers are reportedly getting laid off by organized crime groups. My goodness, oh, no. times are tough. Do they get? I don't do think they get this is included in the. Yeah, really, and I don't think this is included in the tech layoff numbers either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> but across the board, yes, even the hackers are having trouble, and they're looking for jobs. And I wonder what box that would be on the unemployment form. Mm. <laughs> criminal. <laughs> well, yeah, you did, yeah, yeah. Check the criminal box. Okay. <laughs> Remember, the IRS does say you still have to pay taxes on stuff, even if you steal it. So, you know, it's still taxable. And on that note, this is User Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show coming up for you this week. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we endeavor to give you answers. How do you send us your questions? Go to userfriendlyshow.com. You can do it through our brand new website. And you can also get to a lot of other things there social media, our past archives, our Tech Wednesday, and a number of other things. So check it out userfriendlyshow.com. What do we have in our questions for this week? What is, uh, excuse me, what is <laughs> synthetic identity theft? That's a hard word there, yeah, I guess. It, it, didn't, no, it did not roll off my tongue. Just the concept is really bizarre. So explain this, if you can. So <laughs> this is, yeah, and well, this is actually kind of a, becoming a big issue. Okay. Um, so the Federal Reserve Board has defined this kind of identity fraud as, quote, the use of a combination of personally identifiable information, which they call PII, to fabricate a person or entity in order to commit a dishonest act for personal or financial gain. So in English, 
what's happening here is we're having a situation where people will present themselves, say, um, I'm ABC company and I'm hiring for these positions. Send me your resumes and we'll get you a job interview. And they might even go as far as to do an interview online. And it's all for the purpose of getting access to your personal information. Or the flip side of this is, is they have enough personal information about a real person that they create a fake person, but they can present themselves as that individual well enough to be able to get information. Now, this is going the other way. This might be an individual that works for a company and they're trying to get information on that company, that type of a thing. And this is a very 10,000 foot explanation, but it is something that is starting to grow in momentum. And you got to be careful because I know from the whole job standpoint, I'm on all the sites like Indeed and Monster and a lot of the others. A big part of that is a lot of questions that we get into the show is what are the jobs like in the tech industry, especially lately with all the layoffs and stuff. Right. But in line with that, you get on these mailing lists and I'll get a thing. We're seeking an individual priority in, you know, the whatever job at this company and please send us your resume. Now, I'm finding that most of the time these are legitimate. They're just smaller companies that are shooting out a lot of emails and that type of a thing. But that's where this stuff seems to be appearing from is something like that, a recruiter that's fake mm-hmm. or even the company itself. So it's just a good idea to double check this. I haven't seen a lot of direction on how to protect yourself from this yet, but I would think some of the common sense stuff would be that if you're applying for a job through one of the bigger sites like Monster or Indeed, it's probably a little more likely that it's real. But the thing of it is, is in most cases, if you know who the actual applicant or person is that's going for it, you can usually go to that company's web page and see if they're hiring. They usually do their job listings there or at least check it out in some way. I'm going to start compiling some recommendations on this and we'll talk about it on a future show because it is an issue that we want to address. In the past, I've, I've double checked things that I were used to get at LinkedIn and then I would go and check on the website of the company and they weren't hiring. So I don't know what was going on there. So I gave up on LinkedIn and, um, so and that may or may not be, you know, yeah. it could be fraudulent. It could also be that the company didn't post it on their website and they're just going through that system to try to get it. I, you know, it's hard to say. This it's is hard. kind of a newer wrinkle and one that we're going to talk about in a lot more detail in coming weeks. Great. Uh, is TikTok limiting access? So this question came in. I had to do a little digging to figure out what they were even talking about. I finally got a hold of our listener that sent it. Mm-hmm. And apparently what it is, is TikTok is talking about limiting access for under 18 to 60 minutes a day. And from what I've been able to determine on this, that's a hard line access. It's not like you can opt out of it. So it's going to be interesting to see if this is a good thing or not, if it helps limit screen time. Uh, I don't know what the case may end up being with that, but that's what they're talking about doing. I've heard some other stories that they're somebody's trying to just get rid of TikTok, period. Like it yeah, was in the, well, like in the government, a, like, you yeah, know, whole, like... <laughs> Other side of this, the government has been taking TikTok off of a lot of their systems and a lot of private companies have. The idea being that there's a huge concern. TikTok belongs to a company called ByteDance, which is owned in China. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it's a social media site, which like most social media sites, we tend to put a lot of personal information out on. Right. And it does give the Chinese government potentially access to that information. Now, ByteDance is saying that they have everything completely separated, that the information in the United States is not stored in China, that kind of a thing. So that's hmm. where that debate is coming from. Ah, okay. Hmm. Can I get TikTok in my car? 
Yeah, now what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, yeah. No, it's like, I mean, can I watch videos while driving? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, not a good idea. So the answer to this question, however, is yes. Uh-huh. Mercedes-Benz is the first one to do it. They're oh, putting yay. in a new dashboard and a reboot of some of their models this year that are, it's a full screen, like an extended screen. So it's basically like having your computer or laptop screen in your car in the dashboard. Oh, boy. Now, it does limit it to working while it's parked. Uh-huh. At least they okay. thought a little bit okay. through the safety thing. But um, yeah. yes, you can get full access to TikTok and uh, pretty much everything else right from your car's dashboard. So <laughs> you don't even need to go inside your house anymore. So I, I think that does fall under the idea maybe of TikTok overload just, just a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is it true that Netflix is reducing prices? Yeah, this is an interesting one because we've been seeing so much about them adding the the tier with the commercials and mm-hmm. prices going up and all this kind of stuff. But the answer to this is yes. In 100 regions, it looks like they are reducing prices. Streaming fatigue. There's <laughs> so many different sites out there that you can stream yeah. stuff on. And the fact of the matter is if you subscribe to too many of them, you're paying as much as you did for conventional cable before the whole cord cutting thing. Exactly. So people are withdrawing. And one of the other things I've had Netflix for a very long time, but lately there isn't as much stuff I like out there. And a lot of what I did is moved and all that kind of stuff. So I can see where there's some concerns. They still have some good original programming. It's not by any means that it's not, you know, usable or something, but it has changed and it has changed a lot. And that seems to be where they're dropping prices. Now I, for one also don't really want commercials so I don't tend to get these discounts because if I subscribe to the service, I do it without the commercials. Of course, that costs a little more, and those prices seem to keep going up. Yeah. Of course. What is Magic Eraser? Well, we've been talking a lot about AI lately. Now, this is a function that's coming to Android and I believe iPhone, too. Uh, they've had it for a while, but they're launching it on a lot more devices. And this has been on Google Pixel for a while. Yeah, yes. Uh, if you have a Pixel, you've been able to see this. but. What it is, is you can use an AI to modify pictures. Oh, is this to eliminate something weird in the background that you like somebody acting stupid or something of that nature, (laughs) you know, um, or change something or whatever the case may be. And it actually works pretty well. I played with this a little bit. And, you know, at the end of the day, I can see where this is a useful tool. So if you have an Android device, you're going to see this potentially. I'm I'm sure Samsung will be getting it and some others. I have a question. Uh, you know how old our phone, our pixels are. Is it on ours or would we have to upgrade? Um, it's been on pixel since pixel three, I believe. So uh, we'll it should harder. be there. And okay. well, that's going to be an interesting question for next week. Why don't you check it out and okay. let us know All yeah, right. what version of the pixel do you have? I don't know. It's a, it's a f- uh, 5a, I think. A oh, 5a. Okay. So oh. yeah. So you, very likely you would have a 5a is a yeah. current. It's, I think, one generation removed, maybe. So you would almost certainly have it. Okay. Yeah, it's been on the other stuff, too. So anyway, that's our Q&A for this week. And keep them coming in. Userfriendlyshow.com will answer your questions. And we'll be back after the break. Have you seen him? He's from the Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Another section listener question that came in, and that has to do with website and website hosting. And Gretchen, I know this is actually something you've been playing with because you used to do a lot of website design 10 years ago or 
you know, yeah. give or take, right? Mm-hmm. And since then, haven't and are now getting back into it a little bit. Uh, is it an accurate statement to say that things are different? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put really it mildly. Yeah. You know, once upon a time, it was. You got a piece of software, a lot of times WYSIWYG, you could put things together and you had your website. And in those days, things were a lot simpler. Usually the website was kind of like a business card online, sort of. You might have had a feedback form. It wasn't terribly interactive, got the information about, you know, my company and why I'm great. And these are my business hours, stuff like that. Now, today, the situation's very different. You need to search for stuff, provide information. If you have a service business, people expect to be able to schedule through your site, all of that kind of stuff, interactive logging and all the different things. People used to be just happy with pictures. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, definitely (laughs) has changed to be competitive now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pictures and being able to sell things. That's that's what made people happy a long time ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so building on that, there's a lot of ways to do it. If you want to do the business card type website, you still can. And actually, you can usually do it for free or very inexpensively. Sites like Wix are very good for that and do it well. They drag and drop. And as long as what you're doing is what they're capable of doing, it's a great option. They look nice. You don't have to maintain them usually. The technology is there. The problem is, is if you need to get into something that is more interactive, kind of today's standards, then all of a sudden, the old HTML language, which is still used but has been upgraded, needs to be augmented a lot of times with very specific programming. And that's when things can get expensive and difficult. One of the things that they've done is they've come out with a lot of these frameworks. Now, none of this is new. These have been around for a long time, but it's what's being used more to be able to facilitate some of these things. One very commonly used one is called WordPress. And this is a piece of software that runs on an internet server that handles a lot of the functionality of your website. The idea being that once it's set up, You can go in and it's a lot easier. And for many, many functions, you don't even need to know how to program to be able to get it to do interactive things. The product was originally designed for blogging and it still does that quite well, but you're seeing it implemented in a lot of different ways now. In fact, both our userfriendlyshow.com and our sponsor, weirdtechnology.com, run on WordPress and do it quite well. And this type of development is something that you can look at using and that does have a lot of support. There's other frameworks. I've used CodeIgniter in the past, which is a lesser known one. There's other ones like Drupal and some of these other things. Laravel is a big one. These are all just names of different things that allow you to be able to build software basically on the web that's interactive. But most of those do require some programming knowledge to be able to use. So that's where it gets a little bit dicey because you have to decide, is what you're going to put out there going to benefit what you need it to, say your business or yourself or whatever your purpose is, enough to warrant the cost and expense of investing in these type of things. And then you need to do some research to figure out what the best platform is, because if you get tied into something that stops being supported, and this happens all the time, you can have a lot of investment in a product that no longer works. So the investment is a very important component of deciding how you're going to put a new modern website together. Now, that being said, There are a lot of ways to go about this where it doesn't maybe cost as much as some other things. Now, if you need something completely custom, you're probably looking at $20,000 plus to be able to do something like that. But if you need something that's pretty standard, even scheduling and that type of things, those can be done for a lot less because there's stuff out there that's off the shelf that you can kind of cobble together to make it work. You know, so it just kind of depends on where you're going from here or there. The other part of it is, is the accepting money online. And that you deal with with your bank. Back when this originally started, you had to do 
programming, authorized.net, some of these services, most banks offer something now called hosted payment pages or some variation of that. Hmm. And when you sign up for your credit card, they give you a link. And basically all you have to do is have your website send the total and a description, and then they do the rest. You don't have to program anything. So they've made that easier. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Is it more and secure? more secure because you're oh, not dealing yeah. with taking credit cards on your site, which is also right. an important yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, you want to so, keep your customers safe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, to kind of sum all of this up, it's changed a lot over the years, but a website is usually your public face to the world, and it is accessible worldwide. So you do want to think about it. It's important for business or whatever you're doing to have this and have this be right and have it be something that you want to put together and that you want to maintain and can maintain. That's the other thing is to avoid outdated information once you do get them up. We'll talk about this a little more. Send in your specific questions. We'd love to talk about website development. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Have you seen him? He's from the Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Listener question that's been coming in is what is next gen TV? And we talked about this Tech Wednesday. I wanted to dive into this with a little more detail because it is an interesting thing that we are going to be dealing with a little bit more. And there are, like with any times you change technology, good things and bad things. Okay. So, what this is is ATSC version 3.0. Okay. So, what those initials are is back in the initials stand for the type of television system that we're using. So there was low definition. So for 50 some odd years, we had the regular 480i standard, what we call standard definition now. And then in 2009, version 1.0 of this came out, which was the standard for high definition TV, digital TV in the United States. Which everybody called HD, right? HD for high definition. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the easiest way to do it. At that point, there was basically two resolutions, high definition or 1080i, and then there was fake high definition, which were the cheaper TVs that were 720, which could be advertised <laughs> as high definition, but didn't work for everything. So anyway, that was where this started. And um, in that time, if everybody remembers, we had to replace our televisions, tuners, mm-hmm. and all yeah. kinds of things, the technology, the antennas, all that stuff was replaced. But now we have high definition TV. The only problem is, is it didn't work as well in some ways as the old analog system. So, yes, mm-hmm. the picture was sharper, the sound was better, all of the things it promised, except the signal didn't go as far, and any kind of mobile reception just didn't work anymore. So, you remember back like when we were in high school, you had those little handheld TVs, and it had yes. a big antenna, and you could sit at a little tiny screen, and you could watch broadcast television. Yeah, uh, and we never had that when I was in high school. Yeah, well, <laughs> I had- when you were in high school, we won't go there, but anyway... I- <laughs> Uh, so uh, we're all aging ourselves here with these comments, but they had these things and <laughs> portable televisions. And then even in your car, if you were so inclined, sometimes you could have that. And with digital television, this didn't work so well because the signal just didn't work the same way. It would pixelate and you also couldn't get a weak signal. If they're in the days of analog, there was snow, but you could still make it out sometimes. If there isn't a strong enough signal, it just simply doesn't work. So all that hmm. being as it was, 2009 was version one of this. and then the what they're calling next-gen television is version 3, 3.0, okay? Okay. So in answer to the question, what happened to 2.0, there was an intermediary idea put out 
and it was actually built to a standard, but they never made, at least that I could find, any available tuners for it. So you couldn't really benefit from it because there wasn't a way to be able to get the equipment. So they used it for some things internally, like in industry, that type of thing, but never really anything beyond there. The version 3.0 is more of a consumer level version of this. It takes the features of what would have been in two and then adds a bunch of other stuff to it. So some of the things that this does is you can get 4K signals, things like Dolby Atmos, all of that stuff over the air. And the other thing it is, because of the way the signal works, is it works a lot more like the analog version did, where it does work with mobile devices and the signals go farther. Okay. One of the other things that this does, too, is a while back, the FCC sold the bandwidth from what would have been UHF's channels 38, I believe, to 54, so that they couldn't be used for broadcast television anymore, which really limited stuff. Yeah. And with the original version of this, as well as the old analog, if you were, say, broadcasting on channel 12 in a major market, you would have repeaters sometimes to areas where your signal wouldn't reach on other channels. Well, now we've taken away a lot of those channels. And that was creating problems with limited availability. This system works more like your cell phone, where you can have multiple things on the same frequency sets, and it doesn't interfere with each other. So you can have your repeater on the same channel, if you will, same frequency as the primary. So that eliminates a lot of those problems. But there's one other big difference, and this is where we start diving in really technical to this, in the difference between the original HDTV and what's next-gen. Next-gen is what's called packet-based. Okay? Huh. So, in other words, it works like the internet, which means you can do over-the-air internet content, just like a television signal. So, things like interactive TV don't need an internet back channel. It can just work online. And I've been reading up on this, and there's certain white papers that talk about that there may eventually be the ability to just go online over the air using the TV signal. That you don't need an internet service provider anymore, that kind of a thing. I don't oh, know. Wow. Um, I, cool. Reading through it, I don't know how the stability of that's going to be or the mm -hmm. capability when you get a lot of people involved. Yeah, I was wondering and, if you have tons and you know millions of people doing this, is it going to work? Is it going to handle it or are you going to have problems where you have limited bandwidth and stuff? Very likely you would. But again, it's brand new. So what does this mean for you? Well, that's a good question in the sense that when we went from digital or analog to digital, you had to replace all of your equipment. You do have to get a different TV tuner to be able to receive next gen. The television itself will still work, but you would have to have an external tuner or you can do what I'm doing. And that's buying a device that goes in your house and connects to your over-the-air antenna outside. There's a couple of different manufacturers of this. And we're going to do a Tech Wednesday on this coming up. Okay. The one that I use basically sits on the inside of the wall with the TV antenna on the outside and then streams all of the over-air content to my Fire TVs within the house. So what hmm. I've done here is I no longer have to have an antenna on each television, and I don't have to have the tuner on each television. I just have to get it once because once it's in the house, it's able to be compatible with my existing equipment. The other thing it has is the capability to have a DVR for over-the-air signals, which is really kind of cool. You have to connect a hard drive to it and set it up and maintain it yourself, but it does work quite well. And the part that I like, beyond the cost of the equipment, I don't have to pay a subscription cost. Huh. So I have all of my local channels in HD, now 4K with Atmos and the other features. I can record, I can do what I want, and outside of the about $300 in equipment, 
which you get paid back very quickly if you save on these subscription services, you can get. Now, no, you don't get the History Channel that way, but you do get ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. So it's like the old stuff that we used to get that people relied on for basic information. Exactly. That now it's very hard to get in a lot of ways. You can get it for free, but the current way is you have to put an antenna on each television, have the right kind of tuner, hope that it all works and picks up the signal. This is a lot better. So we're going to dive into that in a lot more detail in the future, but it worked out quite well and Hmm. only required the need to replace one tuner. All of my televisions work. I didn't have to change everything in the house and we're good to go. So there are some advantages to it. So we're going to be talking about this in more depth, but this is just more a definition of next-gen television. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week. And, you know, I can sum all of the things up on the way that we do tech and pop culture, and it's very simple. This is the way. <laughs> That's a good lead-in, On lead that in, note, I understand that Mandalorian Season 3 has dropped, or at least the first part of it this week. Yes, the yes. first episode, March 1st. Uh, you know, Din, Din Djarin is back. Little Grogu is back. And now we have to, he's got to atone for his sins and go to Mandalore. Hmm. It's Did just going to be destroyed or something. Uh, it had its, it had its, uh, it's, it's been through bomb. a bit. <laughs> it's been through a lot. I mean, yeah. you, you, you learn in previous, um, stories that, that Mandalore, the, the planet itself has been damaged through generations of wars and things. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. So in any event, so it's going to be interesting, though, with season three. I know this has been well awaited. Uh And I'll probably wait for a couple of weeks to come out, and then I'll turn my Disney Plus back on so I can watch (laughs) it. But, um, (laughs) you know, at the end of the day, it's been a good season. Grogu has ended up being a really cool character, the child, Mm -hmm. you know. stuff. When when he came out in the Chia Pet last Christmas, I knew that he was here to stay. Oh, okay. And- <laughs> the Chia Pets, what did it for you? Oh, we only we only have yeah. like what three versions of him in plush and one yeah, couple of action figures. Yeah, we got a cute and- little robotic one down there too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, in the- I've even seen him as a Starbucks logo. So you know, uh-huh. uh- <laughs> where isn't he? Is the question. Uh, but no, so we've, Star- we've got eight episodes coming. Going to be a good series. Yeah. Continuation, you know. Yep. Star Wars adventure. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm looking forward to seeing it. So no, they've really pulled it off with that. And it's kind of nice to see something that is entertaining and doesn't feel so forced like some of the movies and stuff have recently, you know? It's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And if you look forward to sitting down and watching, that's really true. I've like I finally saw the rest of Bad Batch. Oh good. And good. um I have to say I you know that it seems like when you look at the online discussion, half the world likes it and half the world hates it. I don't know why they hate it. I don't either. I mean, I have to say, I really enjoyed it. It seemed like it was well done. Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, the idea of the. the I had some are... guy on uh, social media screaming about that that Dave Filoni screwed up the uh, the the, the commandos, commandos. Yeah. and I'm like, what? Yeah, and we we were watching <laughs> uh, the the Clone Wars, and the, the commando the episode with featuring the four commandos. Okay, we showed up. There were four commandos. 
what the guy was complaining about. Oh, they grew operating groups of four. Well, there they were. There was only four of them. That yeah. was it. So it's really weird. Well, some the, of the stuff the that problem? people it's get upset the, about. I don't know. People yeah. get upset about some of the strangest things. Yeah. I, I think I think Dave Filoni's doing an excellent job on that. I agree. I'll, yeah. I'll just go ahead and close with this comment since we're about out of time. And this comes from the Bad Batch. Never listen to the regs. This is User Friendly <laughs> 2.0. Until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User Friendly Media Group Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting and technology provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Listen at TheAnswerPortland.com, UserFriendlyShow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.